Well, I have to start out by saying I'm a little bit disappointed, all right? So, like, when Gone was going, when you were singing Gone, I just, like, we're in the South, I half expected Tomahawk Chop to start, right? Like, it's just kind of that feel that, I mean, it's it's the first time legitimately in 18 years the Braves have a chance in the playoffs. Like, if you haven't graduated high school, you've never seen this before. It's new to you, right? So maybe next time we'll bust. I know it's probably sacrilegious, but I just kind of thought we're in the South. We just bust out with it. It's okay to have fun sometimes in church. I mean, we're not going to celebrate the Braves, but we're going to celebrate Jesus today, okay? So let me give you a little bit of warning. Uh, last week I told you in the book of Ruth, um, in chapter 2, I was going to kind of geek out a little bit. Um, and I didn't warn the 9 o'clock. I'm going to do it a little bit again today, but I'll, I'll be completely blunt and honest with you. I dove a little bit too deep in the woods with them. I think some of them went, asleep, went to sleep on me. Um, so I'm going to try not to go too deep into the woods with you guys. But there is so much, whether you've grown up in church or haven't grown up in church, there is so much richness in these four chapters in this book of Ruth, in this Old Testament book that we think really isn't all that important, um, that it maybe it's just a made-up story or it's a piece of history the Jewish people kind of hold on to because it's part of their, their legacy and their heritage. But this is a story not just for the old and not just for the people of the Israelites and not just for Jewish people and not just for historical writing. This is a story that is a picture and a foreshadow of what God does for us today and all the peoples of the world. And so I'm going to give you a, a backstory again, because if you've missed the last couple of weeks, um, you're going to miss a lot of the significance and the depth. And I've said it every week. I'll say it probably every week. Context matters. There, there's, there is a good understanding of what is happening when we understand what is happening within the story. Does that make sense? So as we've said, this story of Ruth really isn't even written uh, about Ruth per se or from her perspective. This is really a story about her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was an Israelite, who were the initial people of God that God kind of brought together and made a people and a nation that he was going to use to bless the world. And so throughout this story, we have seen and will see Naomi go through a lot of different seasons in life, a lot of different places where her, her mindset is, her perspective is, and then the things that she encounters and experiences. We'll see her go through loss and pain, struggle and, and bitterness and, and envy, and then we'll see her shift a little bit today in that perspective change, which is a great thing to be able to see because God needs us to sometimes change our perspective as well. So we see this, this story through the eyes of Naomi, and we see this happening in her life because she was a part of the town of Bethlehem. Uh, the town of Bethlehem was a part of the tribe of Judah, and Israel was made of 12 tribes. Just think of regions or peoples in another country. You can break it down that way, or maybe even states within the United States. And so Bethlehem was a city inside one of those tribes, and Bethlehem means house of bread. Well, the problem that Naomi and her family encountered was that because of their disobedience, God brought a famine to the land, and so there was no bread in the city known as the house of bread. And so Elimelech, her husband, looks at the rest of the world and the rest of the regions and the peoples across the world and sees Moab, one of the distant peoples, and sees that they have everything that they need. They, they lift their heads and they say they've got everything to provide for themselves. And here's Elimelech trying to be faithful to God in Bethlehem, and God is not providing for his people. And just like Elimelech, Naomi starts to blame God for their circumstance and their situation. But if you understand the context of what's happened, the reason God brought this famine was not because God is evil or bad, but because his people walked away from him and rebelled against him. We've been there before, right? We've been in the place where we walked away from God. All of a sudden, our circumstances changed, and we blame God for our circumstances, thinking he left us, but it was us who actually left him. This is exactly where Naomi and Ruth find themselves. And so Naomi's family leaves and goes to Moab to get bread to walk away from Bethlehem and the people of God. 
Well, the problem is while they were there, Naomi's husband and both of her sons pass away. Now, that's difficult in their agriculture, uh, agrarian society, because they need people to work the land, and they need to have land to be able to produce crops. And so in that day and time, typically it was the men who would work the field in that sense of preparing it and getting it ready so that everyone could harvest and bring food in for the family. So now Naomi is left not only without a husband and not only without two sons, but her sons had married daughters, or daughters-in-laws and wives. And so now Naomi is left trying to care for herself and care for these two young ladies. So she tells these two ladies, Orpah and Ruth, go back to Moab, go back to your people, go back to your gods, go back to your family. It will be easier for you back there because I'm going back home. Now this is important because Naomi had discovered that God had brought rain back to her people and back to Bethlehem. So rain was coming, crops were beginning to grow, and she wanted to go back home. And so she told her daughters, you go to your home, I'll go to my home. But one of the daughters-in-law, Ruth, decided, I'm not leaving you. I have committed to you, I have married one of your sons, and I'm not breaking that promise so easily and so quickly. And so we saw Ruth in the very first week use these words that are covenantal, and and that's hugely important. Because it's not a promise, it's not even a commitment, because those things are broken. Even contracts are broken left and right these days. This is a covenant that basically says, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do, even if you don't hold up your end of the bargain. Even if you break the contract, even if you break your promise, even if you step out, even if you don't fulfill, I'm still going to do what I said I would do, which again, and we're going to see a lot of this today, and I don't want to go too deep in the woods and lose you, but this again is a foreshadow of the relationship that God has with his people. He makes a covenant with us that says, I don't care how you act, how you respond. If you run from me, rebel from me, once you're my people, you're always my people. And Ruth says that to Naomi. She says, wherever you go, I will go. Whoever your people are will be my people. Where you die and lay your head is where I die and lay my head. And I will never leave you or forsake you. And basically she says, until death do us part. So here's this woman who's an enemy of God, a foreigner from the people of Bethlehem and the people of God, making this commitment and covenant to her mother-in-law and says, I'll go with you. And so at the end of week one, we saw these ladies returning back to Bethlehem, disheveled and broken and, and hopeless and lonely and having nothing as they walked back into town. And this woman, Naomi, who left with a husband and and two sons and married these two daughters-in-law, who left full and pleasant and life was going the way she had hoped, now comes back home a decade later and everyone from town comes to see her and Ruth walk back into Bethlehem. And she says, no, don't call me Naomi anymore because life didn't turn out the way I wanted. I'm no longer pleasant. My life is not full. You don't know all the things that happened to me in the 10 years during which I was gone. God took my husband. And not only did he take my husband, he took both of my sons and left me with two ladies to care for. See, the problem we're going to see throughout this story is that Naomi's perspective is focused solely on herself and what God has not done for her or what God has done against her to cause this situation when she forgets that it was her people and her family who initially walked away from God to begin with, but he allowed her to come back home because God was starting to produce bread and crops in the place from which she had left. 
And so we see these two women come back home and we see them with nothing, with, with this sense of bitterness and emptiness because of her circumstances. And so she comes into the town and she's like, I've got nothing to offer. I have nothing to, to be able to provide for myself. And the beautiful part of what they, they receive when they come back into the people of God is that they receive this sense of community. And let me take an aside again. I'm trying not to go too deep in the woods. But the people of God from the very beginning, when God started to form them as a people in a nation, God told Abraham, the, the man through which God would bring these people, he told him that you will become a people not for yourselves, not to gather and to gain for yourself and become this great big nation that only provides for you and for your people, but you will become this great people and this great nation so that you will be a blessing, so you'll give away because the Son of God, Christ, is going to come through your people and bring salvation to all people. And so the people of God, the people of Israel, were always designed to allow other peoples to benefit from their resources and from their community. And so Ruth, along with all the other sojourners and enemies and foreigners and widows and orphans, were allowed to go into the field and glean to walk around the edges and to pick up the pieces that the harvesters dropped because of their hands being full. Does that make sense? So Ruth was allowed to walk into this field, even though she was not an Israelite, even though she was not from the town of Bethlehem, even though she was a foreigner and an enemy of God, the community of God allowed her to walk and to gather so that she could provide for herself and for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And while she was in the field last week, we saw chapter 2 say, it just so happened. Now, we talked through that and realized that serendipity didn't take place. This wasn't just a trip over a rock and fall into someone's arms type moment. This was God divinely planning for Ruth to be in this field, to work in this field, and come alongside the man who owned the field named Boaz. And we saw these two people meet last week. And Boaz asked his servant of Ruth, who is this woman? And the servant says, this is the woman who came back from, Na uh, from Moab with Naomi. She is her mother-in-law. She's the woman that committed to her, her daughter-in-law. She committed to her. She covenanted to her. She is providing. She's been in this field all day long working to provide for her mother-in-law. And so Boaz goes to Ruth and he tells Ruth, don't leave this field. Don't leave this property. Don't leave this area because my intentions are good. And I want to be a man of character because scripture called him a worthy man, which means he was integrity, character, excellence, status, position, wealth, power. He was a man who could provide anything that she needed. And Boaz tells Ruth, you stay here. Because if you go and wander into the other fields, I know young men, because all young men are always young men, no matter what era or epoch you grow up in, right? All young men have bad intentions toward young women. Step on, let me get on my box for a second. Thank you. This is why I always talk, and you're going to hate me for this. You're gonna, I'm, we're going to go longer. Okay. When I talk to parents and I talk to students, I tell parents, and they, they hate me for this, I don't like, and I don't want to say approve of, but I don't like serious dating in middle school and high school because young men have bad intentions. But do you know only 1% of the time those relationships end up in marriage? And as a result of the other 99, hearts are broken, lives are broken, lives are messed up. Sorry, that's completely aside. All young men have bad intentions toward young women until God completely changes their heart. So Boaz says, I know this. Stay in my field. I have told my young women to watch over you, and I have told my young men if they lay a hand on you, they are finished. They're done. And so Ruth stays in this field, and we watch over time her position change. She started out as being this foreigner who was an enemy of God, an enemy of the people of God. 
then attached to the Israelite people through her marriage to Naomi's son. And then brought back into Bethlehem where Moabites really didn't wander or happen to live or to be. And then because of the benefit of the community of God, the way he designed them to give and to serve to other people, she was allowed to walk in this field and pick up and harvest food that she didn't work for and a property she didn't own for a man she was not his servant. She was a complete foreigner and sojourner. And this man comes alongside of her and says, I know you don't belong here and I know you're not my servant, but you stay here. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna watch over you. And not only that, I want you to come to my house and sit by the harvesters and the shearers, not walking behind, not second class citizen. You sit at my table in my house. I'm gonna prepare a place and a meal for you and you come sit here and you eat till your heart is full and content. And we saw at the end of chapter 2, Ruth sitting at the table of Boaz, eating her fill so much so that there was more than she could take in. Which is again is a picture and a foreshadow of what God does for us. Those who are distant, foreign, separate, enemies of him. He says, I will bring you in and bring you close and you can sit at my table. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will give you life that is abundant, overflowing, more than you could ever imagine or understand. So we watch her position change. And not only her position to go from enemy to sitting at the table, we see the life of Naomi and her perspective begin to change as well. Maybe for the very first time, her eyes see hope and light as God starts to work, not serendipitously, but sovereignly, his kindness and his goodness for his plan and his purpose in Ruth and Naomi's life. So we pick up in chapter 2, verse 20. If you're in the woods too deep, come on, I'll bring you back out. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he, talking about Boaz, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, which is where we left off last week. Now, through the course of this book, there's only four chapters. And through the course of this book, the author is going to use the word or the words for redeemer, redeem, and redemption 23 times. That's almost six times per chapter. And you know, as we've said before, you know if your mom or your dad is saying something 23 times, it might mean something important. Like you missed the first 20, you didn't catch it, didn't understand it, but they're saying it because 22 was not enough. Because it's so important. The author's done this two other times. He repeated the word glean and repeated the word return 12 times because of the significance. So this story, this book, is it, this, this whole history of these two ladies' lives is the idea of redemption, of bringing back and buying back. And so the author uses these words to talk about two traditions from the Old Testament and wraps them up into one scene in one setting. Okay, stay with me. We're going back into the woods, but don't lose me because this is, this is awesome stuff. The first custom is property redemption. This is a continuation of this Old Testament practice. And so if someone had land, because land was so vital back in that day. Land's important today, but it was hugely important then. If you didn't own land, you couldn't eat, basically, or you had to work somebody else's field, and you weren't in control of your life. Sounds kind of like an employee and a boss today, right? So there's this idea back in the Old Testament that if a person died, they would lose their land if they didn't have any heirs to take over the land. But it would allow for a redeemer, a a kinsman, someone who is a kin, who is a relative, who is near them, to be able to buy back the deceased person's property, to redeem it or to buy it back. And this was important because it would allow this land, the possession of this land, to remain in perpetuity, which means forever, inside the family. 
And so the author is using this word redeem that he's going to get to that Boaz is one of their redeemers. That Naomi's family has lost their land. They walked away for 10 years and he died, the husband died, the sons die, and she has no place to lay her head or no place to call her own. And so Naomi starts to see and picture and realize God's weaving together. That Ruth didn't just happen to show up in Boaz's field. That God in his kindness and sovereignty planned for her to be there because Boaz was a worthy man who was filled with integrity, character, and not only that, but status, power, position, and wealth. He had the ability and the capability to buy their land back to keep it in the family. You see how important that is and why Naomi is excited about this moment. The second one is a little bit odder or weirder or harder to pronounce or understand. It's called Leverite marriage. And this was the practice for a childless widow. Now remember, Ruth is that. She is a woman who lost her husband but did not have children before he passed away. So this practice allowed for a childless widow, which is so strange today, to marry her deceased husband's brother. Now it sounds like Kentucky or Tennessee Hills kind of stuff. I don't happen to be from one of those families. but So it allows for this to happen. And so Boaz fills the first. Boaz is a redeemer. He is able to purchase the property of Naomi's family to bring it back into the family. However, Boaz is not Ruth's husband's brother. And not even probably a cousin. He is one of their redeemers, but he is not the nearest or closest redeemer. And so Naomi's not sure if it's possible for Boaz to be able to marry Ruth so that. Now, this is important. This is not weird just to marry your brothers, uncles, cousins, sisters, whatever. The reason this is important is because if Ruth does not produce a child, the name, the lineage, the heritage of Naomi's family is gone. And in our day, it's important, but in their day, it was hugely important because God was all about naming people, renaming people, and calling the people Israel, and then calling the 12 tribes specific names in which Naomi was born in Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah through which Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would come. And so it was important for them to have an heir. The problem is Boaz might not be close enough to allow Ruth to marry to produce an heir. This is, this is cool. This is so cool to me. I'm sorry, geeking out again. This is so cool because here's this woman who was not near to the people of God at all. One of the furthest things you could be. And so there's, there's unsure, uncertainty whether or not she could become an heir of the people of Israel because Boaz wasn't near. The same thing happens for you and I because we were not near God. Scripture is consistent that we were sojourners, foreigners, rebellious, enemies of God. We were not close to him. And so the question is, how can people who are not near join with him and be a part of his family? When Christ came, he allowed not just the Israelites, not just the people born in Bethlehem or Judah or one of the tribes of the people of Israel. He allows for anyone and all people to come and to become a part of his family. And so when Jesus comes and sacrifices himself and raises his life, Peter, one of the early apostles, one of the early followers who's sitting waiting for the Holy Spirit to move, in Acts chapter 2, they're sitting there. He busts open the doors at, at the time of Pentecost. He busts open the doors in Jerusalem, and he walks out, and he says this very thing in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. He says, this message that used to be for the Israelites, this message is for everyone who is far off, 
and for those who are near that God has made a way that you didn't have to grow up in Israel or be from a certain family or act a certain way or have a certain name, that Jesus has come and opened the doors that anyone, even if you are far off, because Jesus is a redeemer who brings people close, and when there wasn't possibility to produce or become an heir through him, we get to become heirs with him in the family of God. Right? That's good stuff. And so we see in this moment Ruth's life beginning to change because of this redeemer, Boaz, who is a part of her life now. But it's not just Ruth. We see Naomi's life beginning to change too. This woman who only spoke of bitterness and negativity, difficulty, pain, hardship because of the circumstances of her life, you see her mind and her eyes begin to shift. She is finally, for the first time, starting to see the goodness and the kindness and the hand of God working in her life where she could not see him working before. And so we continue in the next couple of verses. And, and so this woman who spoke of bitterness starts to speak these words of hope. Verse 23 in chapter 2. So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz in the field, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So she's staying, she's fulfilling that commitment and that covenant. And then Naomi said to her mother-in-law, or said, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter. Now watch this. Ruth has always been the foreigner, the Moabite, the enemy, even the daughter in-law. Like we know the in-law deal, right? You're not really in-laws, you're outlaws. You can be kicked out in a heartbeat. Right? You with me? Like, you're not really in. You just kind of married someone who allowed you to be in. And if we want you out, we can kick you out in about five minutes. But here, Naomi says, no, you're not just my daughter-in-law. You didn't just marry my son. You're a part of me. You're mine. You're no longer a foreigner or a sojourner to me. You are my daughter, a part of my family. And should I not seek rest for you, which means to find a husband who will care for you and watch over you, that it may be well with you. And she continues, says, is Boaz not our relative with whose young women you were with? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Ruth had committed to stay with Naomi. She covenanted with her and she had fulfilled that commitment. And now watch Naomi as God starts to open her eyes. She says, baby girl, I don't see you anymore as a foreigner. I don't see you as distant. I don't see you as a hardship or a problem. You are mine because God is making a way for us to be family. Now watch as she says this next line. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor where they're harvesting. But do not make yourself known to the man until he finished eating and drinking. Now, again, as I've said already, context matters in this moment. And for this moment, context is changing and shifting. Everything we've known about Naomi up until this point is me, mine, where do I get mine? Where do I stand in line? Everybody else got theirs. I deserve what everybody else has gotten. And God took me what took from me what I should have had. Right? Bitter, broken, sour, unpleasant, empty. God has left me, forsaken me, and forgotten me. And so when she says these words, she says, Ruth, I have a plan. There's this man. He's wealthy. I mean, he's got so much money. He can buy my land back. He can give me an heir. He can give me a grandson or a granddaughter and hopefully a grandson so that the name continues. This is my moment. I've been waiting for this forever. This is my chance to get mine. This is my chance to get back what I lost and what God took from me. I mean, you're reading this. This is exactly what we're expecting from this plan from Naomi. 
But if you see here, this is not Naomi trying to get her stuff. This is not trying to get what she thought was due her. It would be easy for us to misconstrue that. This is maybe the first moment in her life she is acting as if she were one of the people of God living out the purpose he had always destined and designed for his people. In this moment, instead of it being about her and about me, it's about everybody else. In this moment, Naomi is sacrificing herself for the good of Ruth, just like Ruth had done to Naomi for their time together. See, the reason this is important, the reason that she's sacrificing is because if Ruth marries Boaz, Ruth and Boaz can take off, start their own life, and now Naomi has no one to provide for her. She is left literally hopeless and lonely and with nothing. And in this moment, she is willing to sacrifice because this is what the people of God have always been meant to do. Never meant to get for ourselves. What can I get for mine? Look, God saved me, rescued me, gave me, gave me a great family and a whole lot of friends, good clothes, and a place we can come comfortably and sit and worship every single week. And Naomi's mind shifted and she understood God's plan for her people and for her life and that God was bringing in this foreigner into their people, a foreshadow of what Jesus would do through the people of God for the rest of history. And I think sometimes we forget. We, like Naomi, complain about what God hasn't given us or allowed us to have or taken from us. And we forget that it's not about us to get or attain or acquire, but for us to use and to give and to be a blessing to all the peoples who are foreigners, sojourners, and enemies so that they can be brought near and brought into the family of God and made heirs with Christ as well. Right? You with me? Sometimes I think as the people, we forget that. So she was willing to lose everything in this moment. And then she uses these words. She says, wash and anoint yourself. And she says, baby, go get on your best clothes. Go get on your best cloak. Wash yourself. Prepare yourself. This is our moment. This is your moment. And this is a huge moment for both of these ladies. For Naomi, this is important because it means her season of mourning and her season of bitterness is over. No longer does she complain about what God has done to her, but now she starts to see the hand of God moving on her behalf. And this is big for Ruth because this is the idea. Ladies, you know this idea. Men, we laugh at it and scoff at it and think it's not a big deal. But this is the moment that Ruth and every other woman has always dreamed about, of preparing herself and washing herself, putting on that gown and the shimmer and the shine of the day and the colors of the cake and the colors of the light shining through the trees and hitting on that ring that has been provided, uh, furnishing that glow and the man who will walk you down the aisle and the people sitting in the seats and the color and the glitter and the shine of the invitations and guys were like, that makes no sense to me. But for a woman, this is what she's dreamed about since she was two years old and had it all planned out. And Naomi says, you go and you prepare yourself for your future husband. Because he's going to be there and he's coming for you. Which again is a beautiful picture of what Paul says about our husband as well. That he is coming for us, that we are known as the church, as the bride of Christ. And we can't do anything to wash or anoint ourselves and prepare ourselves for him. But he comes and he does it all for us. Which is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her. He might anoint her, purify her. Having cleansed her by washing her of water with the word. So that he might then present his bride back to himself. The church in splendor and glory without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. 
And Naomi says, this is a picture of what Christ will do for the church. You go and you get ready because he's going to wash and anoint and make you pure and holy and right. Because Naomi, Naomi understood and knew that Ruth's only hope for safety and security in that day and time was for a husband to provide that for her. And Paul understood and all of church history understands that for you and I, being foreigners and sojourners and enemies and rebellious people against God, the only hope and safe for safety and security that we had would be for a husband to wrap his arms around us and anoint us and purify us when we were dirty and broken and helpless. And Paul says this is what Christ does for people who come under his shadow and under his wings. And so Naomi tells Ruth, to prepare herself and then go out into the threshing floor because they were gathering the harvest. And at the end of that, these men who were gathering would celebrate and they would fall asleep out on the threshing floor after they had eaten and drank. And so she goes out into, in the middle of the night, uh, Ruth having prepared herself, ready for this moment. And Naomi says, lay yourself at his feet, which is a picture of us laying ourselves at the feet of God, at the feet of Christ. This, this symbolic positioning of being a servant, of saying, I am here to be your servant at your feet. And so Ruth, in the middle of the night, cloak and dagger, goes and lays at the feet of Boaz. And then he wakes up in verse 9. At midnight, this man was startled and turned over, for behold, a woman lays at his feet. Like, I would be startled too, right? If you wake up in the middle of the night and it's dark and someone other than your wife is laying at your feet, she might be startled too for a good reason. And so he wakes up and he's startled and he says, who are you? Because I can't see you, it's dark. And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Watch these words. She says to him, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Very short order. She makes very clear the intention of her presence. And she says, look, Bubba, I'm here and you're going to be my husband. I want you to marry me. Just real fast, real quick. This is the most bold proposal you've ever seen. But the words she uses here are the same words that Boaz used toward her in chapter 2. When Boaz meets her for the very first time, he prays that God would spread his wings over Ruth and accept her and receive her as a foreigner, as a sojourner, to bring protection and guidance over her. And Ruth says, I understand that God is a redeemer for me. And in this physical moment and presence and as a picture and symbolic foreshadow of Christ, Boaz, I want you to be my redeemer and spread your wings and your arms over me because I need safety and protection under you. It's exactly what Christ does for us. So in verse 10, Boaz says, May you be blessed, the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. Now that could be a little bit confusing. The first kindness that Boaz is talking about is that she covenanted, committed to stay faithful and loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And he says, that was kindness. But what you have done is even greater than that first act. And what she has done, Boaz tells us at the end, is Boaz wasn't the closest redeemer. Boaz is probably older than her, probably didn't look as shiny and fancy and new like she did because of age. Boaz wasn't the nearest redeemer. And so Ruth could have taken off and she could have run after any eligible bachelor because she was a novelty. She was different. She was a foreigner. She probably was a, a beautiful young lady. And Boaz says, this kindness that you did because you have gone, you could have gone after any man you wanted. And again, instead of thinking of yourself, you came to me because you were thinking about Naomi instead of yourself. 
because you wanted this mother-in-law of yours to have property back and to have an heir and for her legacy, her lineage, and her heritage to come through. In this moment, you have thought of other people before yourself. This woman who was a foreigner and a sojourner and knew nothing of God acted in ways that the church was initially designed to act toward other people. Now, because we live in the South and every good redneck says at the very end of their life, hey, watch this, the famous last three words, watch this. I want you to see this is, this is the coolest thing. We've seen a progression of Naomi or of Ruth's life beginning to change over the course of our time with her. Watch what happens in the next verses. And now my daughter, Boaz, says to her, do not fear. With all that, for all that you have done and all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are, watch these words, a worthy woman. She's never been called that. Foreigner, sojourner, enemy, widow, helpless, hopeless. Slowly her position is changing through a progression of time and through connection with the people of God. She began as an enemy. Then she was connected with the people of God through Naomi, brought into Bethlehem, invited into the community, allowed to pick up little bits and pieces of what the community was dropping and allowing her to benefit from that. And then a man, Boaz, coming in to meet with her who didn't have to give her anything because she wasn't a citizen and she wasn't even a servant and she didn't belong there to show kindness to her, to not only say, hey, I'll let you reap benefits from the community, but I want you to sit at my table because I've made a place for you and I've invited you and brought you in to the point where now he says, look, you are a worthy woman, exactly what Boaz was called at the very beginning of this book. Go back to that verse for me. And she is called worthy because Boaz will be her redeemer. Boaz completes this progression of Ruth's position change. She started distant foreign and not near to God. And over time, God slowly brought her closer and closer and closer to himself through the community of the people of God as they lived out their purpose to reach people who were not like them, distant from them, and foreign from them, which is a foreshadow of Christ doing the very same thing for all the peoples of the world. And you and I, who were once distant from God, have been brought near and washed and anointed, made pure and holy and spotless, not because of what we have done, but because of God's kindness to draw us to himself and to make us worthy and righteous and holy. And if you noticed that progression, I think 99% of us would say that very same progression was true about our lives as well. We didn't live completely distant, running from God in one moment, and then all of a sudden the next we're running toward him. It happens for a few people, but for a lot of us, if we look back and we trail our history, it was over a course of time and a progression of God drawing us to himself. And if we look back, we can pinpoint him using other people as a part of the people of God to draw us into his family. This is the picture of the church. And we have to understand and realize and remember that sometimes when we're reaching our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, it's a progression just like it took us years we can't expect someone to start running toward God in an instant, in a moment, and the power of the Spirit can do it in a heartbeat. But most of the time, it's this realization, this change of perspective and understanding of God bringing and showing kindness through the people of God to the point where someone is invited in that they simply cannot deny the goodness of God 
And Ruth stakes her claim on Boaz. And she's, I am here. I've seen all the other men. I have seen what happens when you chase after other things and other gods. And I am here, Bubba, and you're my redeemer, and I'm not leaving. I am staking my claim because I need you to redeem me, to make me worthy and holy. Which is a great picture for us. That we get caught sometimes looking to the other things of the world and chasing after those other shinier objects that are tangible, that we can hold on to, that we put our hope in. Instead of running into those other fields and other parts of the world, that we should stand our feet planted firm at the feet of Jesus and say, I am here and I'm claiming you as my redeemer because nobody else can spread their wings over me and give me hope and safety and security like you can. And I am holding my claim to you. That I am holding strong because I know that you are my redeemer. And so the story continues. I'm going to leave on a cliffhanger um, for next week. And so he says this, and now it is true that I'm a redeemer. But there is a redeemer that is nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. One more symbolism, one more picture. This to me, when I read these words, and think in the foreshadow of the coming of Christ, this to me pictures what Christ said to God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any other way, let it be so. But if not, I will die and sacrifice for these people so that I can redeem them for you. If there's any other way, but if not, I will do this. I will be their redeemer in giving my life so that all people anyone who comes and rests under my wings for protection and safety will receive salvation and i will bring them as an heir so that they can become sons and daughters and sit at your table and carry your name and be your people what a beautiful picture in just four short chapters of what our god has done for us the kindness the goodness even when we are distant and far and the reminder for us as the people of God, the church, that we are to do the very same thing for other people who are running from God and distant and foreign from him at this moment. That our purpose is to sacrifice our lives, ourselves, our time so that other people can know the goodness and the kindness and the salvation and protection of God as well. Right? With me? It's good stuff. In four chapters of a book that we probably never even thought about, God is good to love us in this way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the picture that you've given us in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. The reminder that for some of us, our perspective needs to change. We need to see our lives not based on our circumstances or our selfish desires, but on the goodness and kindness you have shown us when we didn't deserve anything. That Ruth says to Boaz, I am not your servant and you're showing me kindness when I didn't deserve it. God, you've done the very same thing for us. And Father, for people who are in that place that we've all been, that maybe they're running from you and they feel that distance and they know they're not near, they're not close. But God, they've been cared for and loved by the community, the people of God, that they cannot deny the kindness that exists toward your people. Father, I pray in this moment that you would allow someone to step deeper into their life. I pray for the one who's distant, who's questioning, God, that they would continue to seek and to search and take a step closer toward you and closer into the community. Father, that they would start to see as Naomi saw and Ruth experienced your goodness, your redemption, 
of bringing people who are far near and giving them a place and a seat at the table, calling them sons and daughters, that when they called themselves an enemy and a sojourner and hopeless and helpless, you called them son and daughter and worthy, not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is and what he has done on our behalf to be the one who buys us back out of difficulty and slavery and pain and suffering and gives us a seat at the table that allows us to be called sons and daughters of you. Father, thank you for that love and that kindness. We thank you in the power and the name of Christ. Amen.